my guests today because um, at heart, I think I'm still pretty much a political junkie, even though I'm not engaged in it as much. And I work on culture and environment and politics. I sneak in, but I, I watch the crap every night on the cable shows. So that should amount for something except other than depression over what the hell is going on in our country, on our globe. I mean, is this uh, they have a movie out now called Armageddon something. They're afraid to just call it Armageddon, I guess. But um, sometimes it really feels like that. I just, uh, this is a, a terrible, terrible time. You know, I'm too old. I've been around for too long. I lived through the Cold War years as a, as a, a high school student when they wanted us to go walk out in the halls to protect ourselves from atomic bombs. And I refused to go because I said, Come on, guys, are you serious? You think walking out in the hole is going to save us from an atomic bomb? I mean, I was, you know, bucking, bucking the, the inevitable even at, at, that, at that age. And so I've been around this corner before and lived through the McCarthy years and uh, thought that was bad enough. Um, did not live through the, how do you pronounce it, Kuglin or Coughlin? Coughlin. Coughlin years, and so I didn't. I didn't go that there. I didn't live through the Perez years and and all of the the downside stuff that was happening here. But let's talk about downside today, y'all. I can't get away from the feeling that the Democratic Party in the state of Louisiana is a wall. Well, I'm an independent, so I'm looking at it, you know, from arm's length, and I've been an independent since 2010. Um, but yeah, the Democratic Party has certainly been in decline since uh, Kathleen Blanco decided not to run for re-election, and maybe even before that. I think that um, you know, on both the national and the local levels, in spite of the fact that we've had two Democratic presidents since Katrina, uh, the Republican Party has been resurgent and insurgent for a long time. And they're now to the point where they they don't mind just saying it out in the open and the Democrats don't have a response. Uh, you know, we, we can say the same things that's, that have been said on a national level for years now. The Democrats really suck at messaging um, and uh, they're, 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 I think they, you know, it, it, we are living in very dangerous times, and it, it's it's uh, the rule of law is is up for grabs uh, uh, on the on the chopping block this election, just as it has been uh, in varying degrees and very in steadily increasing degrees. But now I think it's right out there uh, nationally, and in Louisiana. But we're not unique. We're not some outlier. The Democratic Party is is, is, is uh, kind of AWOL in, in, a, in a lot, no, across the South, you know, the, the, yeah. uh, and, and uh, you know, the Republicans are not constricted by truth and they are more of one mind than Democrats. Dem Republicans is like herding sheep. Democrats are trying to herd cats. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's, so they got a structural problem right there, but, 
Um, and the problem is too, that really too many Democrats are cats. They want it their way and, and nothing else. And they don't care if the party loses uh, a lot of them because uh, if they don't get their way, they just assume, you know, let the party, you know, lose because they think they'll do better next time. Well, there may not be a next time. <laughs> uh, and it, I hate to sound so doom and gloom about it, but um, I want to hear what Lamar thinks. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I think that the state party is here in Louisiana is pretty much a consultant driven conservative uh, it's, it's a conservative party that's not aligned with the national party at all, on purpose, deliberately. Um, and I think that that leaves a lot on the table for the for the state party. Uh, we had a chairs race about, what, a year and a half ago between Katie Bernhardt and Linda Woolard. Um, Katie is now the chair of the party. Uh, she is very, you know, ex explicitly represents uh, sort of conservative oil and gas interest. Uh, she ran on a... Um, sort of a pro-life uh, adjacent uh, platform. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess under the pretense of being a big tent, uh, ends up rejecting a lot of the, the core issues that animate the National Party right now. So this leaves us, and, you know, Clancy's right, uh, there are other state parties in the South that are just like Louisiana's, but we are somewhat of an outlier in that regard. Have we really emerged from the Dixiecrat era? I, I know a lot of people probably don't even know what the expression Dixiecrat means, but I remember <clears throat> that there was a time when Democrats in the South were basically considered to be, um, again, outliers, but um, uh, more or less conservative, uh, representing um, policies that are not unrelated to today's Republican policies. Not when I say today's, I don't mean uh, the worst stuff that we're dealing with at the moment, but um, more concerned. Well, actually, there was some of that. There was a lot of violence across the South. Uh, don't just look at it as the Dixiecrats. I think that was the election of 48, wasn't it, when Strom Thurmond ran for president? Um, and, and uh, but that was. Again, as with Trump, that was not the cause, that was the symptom. And um, so there was, there was a lot of violence in the South fomented by Democrats who were pro-segregation. They were the party that opposed and tried to overthrow and did overthrow reconstruction. And the Democrats didn't become the party of, of black people until 1960. And since then, you know, before then, black people tended to vote Republican. In a lot of elections, especially nationally, um, if they could vote at all, yeah, if they could vote at all, exactly. Right. I mean, right now, Louisiana has a population that's thirty-four percent African American. I just looked at the early vote numbers. The early vote numbers in Louisiana are twenty-five percent black. So there's a big discrepancy there, and I think that the uh, enrollment numbers, registration numbers, are about at parity. So uh, we're doing a, a really poor job getting out African American votes. Um, and that, in turn, is one of the reasons that the state party here in Louisiana uh, struggles. Well, that's that's um, that's pretty much the heart of why I'm doing this interview with you guys today is because, of course, this show um, will be heard on WBOK, which is our urban station. And um, to the extent that um, there are folks listening to radio and there still are people listening to radio. This is black people listening to this station. 
it's more diverse. My show is, you know, cultural, environmental. So I have a kind of mixed um, demo, you might say. But uh, I, I definitely think that uh, I want to do whatever I can think of to promote getting out the vote uh, in general uh, on the uh, liberal, democratic, independent, all of that side, but also um, making sure that uh, people realize what you just said. I mean, I, I didn't realize that. Say that again. Give me those numbers again. It's 34 versus 25. That's right. That's right. That's, the that's, only... that's the, yeah, that's not the registration. That's the turnout. The registration, I think, is around 33%. So it's right. pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Uh, but, uh, in terms of, uh, and the Black population in relation to the white population may trend a little bit younger. Uh, so it probably does reflect pretty, pretty closely, if not right on the money, uh, the uh, percentage of African-Americans in Louisiana who are voting age. So registration isn't the problem turnout right. is. And I think they've been getting the message, like the same message that everybody gets is, well, we're a red state. It doesn't matter. You know, the, 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 the five Republican congressmen are going to be reelected. There's nothing you can do about it. And, uh, you know, that's, and, and even if that's a fact, that should not discourage people from turning out and, uh, because and, and, there, are, there are plenty of local elections on the ballot, especially in New Orleans. And you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it represents uh, not so, uh, partly a feeling of my vote doesn't matter and partly a feeling in some places where there are not, uh, you know, hot, uh, hot button or, or barn burning local elections on the ballot that this election doesn't matter. Uh, uh, for example, I would bet that the turnout in Shreveport is higher than 25% because they've got a mayor's race. And it's a majority black city. And all, I think two or three of the major candidates are all African-American. Mm -hmm. uh, Lamar, you know much more about that than I do, but- uh, And Alexandria uh, as well has a mayor's race right now. Yeah, so, but those, are, but you know what, but the interesting thing is New Orleans, Baton Rouge, East Baton Rouge Parish and Caddo Parish, Shreveport, and to a, some extent Alexandria and to a, also some extent Monroe, the urban areas are where the black vote is. So maybe they're not even turning out in the urban areas. I don't know what it looks like in Orleans Parish, but um, you know, so that, that's, that's an alarming number, Lamar, because when you look at what's happening nationally, nationally, the early vote is trending Democrat, right. uh, very encouragingly. Uh, so it's, it's a Southern thing, or at least maybe, maybe a Louisiana thing. And uh, it's- But also, we're, yeah. we're, we're, one more thing, we're an outlier in this regard. I'd like to hear Lamar's take on this as well. <clears throat> around many parts of the country, this is a big day. It's not just the midterms. There are, in many parts of the country, there are governor's races on the ballots. There are state house uh, races on the ballot. We don't have that in Louisiana, that's next year. And I think it would be a different story if we had a governor's race and a state house race aligned with the midterms, not with the presidential election, but we can do it with the presidential election too, because that's when most states elect their governors and and state senates and state representatives that uh, aligns with either the presidential race or the midterms. We are the outlier there. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that in Louisiana, federal elections have a different electorate than state elections, um, mm -hmm. that, that voters are interested in different issues. Uh, for example, you know, uh, conservative voters in central and north Louisiana who may be adverse to the federal government uh, probably have someone that they know that works for the state government. 
So uh, the message of uh, the anti-government message doesn't work as well in a governor's race as it does in a, in a race for Senate or even a race for the presidency. Um, and in turn, you get you get different candidates. I mean, you get a totally different set of issues. I think it would be interesting to see what would happen if we uh, aligned our elections, you know, if we synced them up a little bit. Um, and also, if we got rid of the jungle primary, I mean, that's another big issue that we haven't even touched on that probably has a lot to do with why Democrats um, in the last 30, 40 years have failed to really, really, I guess, Oops, we just lost. It froze up. Lamar, you, you, it froze up for a second. Democrats oh. lost something. Oh, it's just said the jungle primary is kind of what the reason, one of the reasons that uh, Democrats have lost um, in the last 20 years. Uh, it's, it's, we're cannibalizing. I can play both ways uh, in, in some of the places from what I understand too. But um, it can, it can, but it doesn't in, in a place like Louisiana. Uh, Edwin Edwards pushed the jungle primary and he was told straight up by people that I know they're no longer alive. But one of my mentors, Joe Walker, sat across from him and said, This thing is going to make the Republican Party. And he said, Yeah, but it's going to be good for me. You know, because mm -hmm. <laughs> he'll be he was he was the king of the Democrats back then. And so that's what we have now. Uh, but I'm not so sure that, uh, that going back to party primaries, uh, because now, in fact, the Republicans may may want to cement that uh, back to going to party primaries. Now that they've they, they've what, what happened with, as a result of jungle primaries and as a result of what's happened nationally, we no longer have a Democrat and Republican party in Louisiana. We have a black party and a white party. And that's what you're gonna find across the South. And they want that to be national. You, they wanna have Republicans be the white people's party and everybody else be Democrats. The problem is the demographics don't really support that because white people, that's where the whole replacement nonsense comes from. You know, white people are going to be a plurality but not a majority in another decade or two. In America. And that's why things are so intense right now, because it is Custer's last stand for the Republican Party in a way, theoretically. But I, I, I got I to go to something that, that uh, is under my nails all the time. And that is, where, where, where is our Black leadership? Hmm. Um, kind of where and Edwin where, Edwards where was in 1975. Where are the bold soul coup? You know, life, all those, all those guys well, that. Were... Well, first of all, you got to look at what's happened to the to the uh, black population. Uh, those organizations that you mentioned uh, came into being in the 1960s, mostly a few, one or two. The OPPVL was around in the 19 late 1950s, but as more black people got to vote and as more black citizens became members of the middle class, they didn't need quote, the black leaders to tell them how to vote. They could figure it out for themselves. Plus, those organizations initially existed to inform black voters, and they played a very critical role. They would inform newly enfranchised black citizens which one of the white candidates was their friend. Mm -hmm. Now that blacks are a majority in New Orleans, it's, you know, and Dutch Morial saw this very plainly because when he ran, he didn't, I mean, he got the endorsements of the, of the so-called alphabet soups uh, organizations, but they had no choice. They didn't dare go against the black mayor. He didn't have to go pay them and, and do things that were, you know, the white candidates had to do. 
And, and I remember very clearly because I was interviewing him with Ed Anderson at the Times-Picayune and we asked about that and he said, basically, it's like going to a football game. Uh, you go to a football game, if you're not familiar with the teams, you need a program. He said, well, when I'm on the ballot, blacks, black voters don't need a program. They know me. So he didn't, he didn't need them as much. Although he, once he got in, he did the same thing Chet Morrison did. He formed his own political organization. Uh, but, uh, you know, black leaders have done what same thing that white leaders have done. They do what politicians do. They look out for their own interests. They're not thinking long-term by and large. Politicians look out for themselves. It doesn't matter whether they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. A politician is a politician. What are we going to do to dig out of the hole we are in, given what you're saying, but also given all the other factors that you were just describing? I mean, we, we've got a lot of challenges against um, any kind of improved uh, understanding of uh, what is real and what is not real. I think right now, one of the big challenges across both parties and, and, uh, and, and the political field in general is um, how to help people distinguish between disinformation and um, the truth. And you, know, you, you say the word truth and it, it, both sides use it. And um, it, I, I, I just don't know how we get folks to really appreciate the extent to which they are being duped by disinformation. If I had to make it. Before we go there, I want to hear Lamar's take on the previous question about where is black leadership and Lamar's better able to talk well, about I mean, the truth thing. So. I mean, and I feel uncomfortable that it's three white people it's, talking about this. I, I, you know, I'm totally accidental, but. It just seems to me, and I'm originally from Alexandria. So Alexandria, we didn't have alphabet soup groups. Um, it does seem to me, though, here in New Orleans, that there's a, there's sort of a tension between fragmentation and consolidation with these groups. Um, that some of that, right? I guess right now, a few of them are controlled by one or two different political machines. Probably just one real political machine. Um, and I, I guess that to Clancy's point, you know, everyone at some point, all these politicians started their own groups. So. It, uh, from my my vantage, um, I don't know which one to trust. I mean, not, not that they're they're reaching out to me, um, but they, there is a generational difference here between uh, the, those groups' appeals, you know. Um, and also, people don't use tickets anymore. They they used to hand out a ticket and say vote this way. This is not the way elections work, you know, anymore. So there's that as well. I mean, it's it's a pretty big factor. So if 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 that doesn't if that's not happening if tickets are not really happening if this is generational and I think those are pretty good points then what will move us in the direction of some kind of sanity and um, acknowledgement of what is real and what is not real? Mm. I have to go back to my question. You know how do we? Yeah, that's that's information. you go first on this. Well, I mean, I, I, think I think my answer may be scary, but um, I'm afraid it's going to have to be something, you know, uh, a major act, a major. It could be an assassination. It could be something that shocks us to our core. I mean, that's generally what what has to wake people up, and uh, we are at that point right now. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was the victim of an assassination attempt just recently. Um, and we saw January 6th, what happened then. 
in many ways we've been spared and we're lucky that it hasn't been worse than it had than it is. So I don't know uh, what what exactly will will change will change the system or wake people up, except for um, a moment of you know national unity and um, and something like that. I mean, it, you know, after nine eleven, of course, George W. Bush had like a ninety two percent approval rating, right? LBJ got more votes than anybody in American history, won the popular vote by a larger proportion than anyone in history. So the, these things do happen. Uh, they bring, the, you know, there is a silver lining, I guess, if you will, um, about, about Americans getting on the same page. Um, but right now, the media culture has just, has driven us in completely opposite directions. And I don't think it's going to get any better in the short term, especially since Elon Musk purchased Twitter. Well, yeah, uh, it, it, let, me add, let me add something there, Gene. Uh, the, the the moments that that occur, like the the, the Gulf of Tonkin and and other other defining acts, I'm not sure that Americans can get on the same page right now. Because look look at Ukraine. Any rational person, any rational American. Truly, and I hate to use this, this is a term that the Republicans like to use. Any real American would know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are in Ukraine. And yet you have uh, Fox News and even now a lot of Republicans, a national ad called, sponsored by a group called Citizens for Sanity, kicking Joe Biden in the teeth for saying he's sending billions to Ukraine when he's not helping you. And they're showing nothing but black and Hispanic people in the ad. I mean, they're going, this is propaganda 101. I mean, it's, and they are openly pushing Putin's agenda, openly, and making it an American dinner table issue. And there was no democratic response that I've seen. And they were, this was airing during the World Series. Okay, a lot of eyes watching that game. Uh, and I only happened to be, I, I saw it because I turned on the TV and the World Series just happened to be on. So I watched an inning or two because it was close. But, you know, other than that, I couldn't tell you who won last night because I was doing something else. Uh, but uh, the then I Googled those citizens for sanity. And of course, it's a dark money. You know, nobody knows who it is. And, and you know, the whole, we, we, we need, uh, frankly, we need to rewrite the American constitution. And that's a scary thing. The Republicans are already trying to do that, but they're trying to do it for the wrong reason. They want to do it to take away people's right to vote. They want to do it with the 14th Amendment. They want to do it with the First Amendment, unless it suits them. You know, it's, it's um, but we, we need to have, we need to have direct election of the U.S. president, which Republicans fear more than anything. We get rid of the uh, electoral college. And then if we, and if we, uh, put teeth back into the Voting Rights Act. If we overturn Citizens United, there's actually another case, and you probably know it, uh, Lamar, that was a sort of a companion case. Citizens United gets all the press, but there's another case that, wow. that really cemented, it was, it was happening at the same time. And I think it's a US Supreme Court case. But anyway, the whole Citizens United, you know, your, your money, is, money is speech when it's not. And we need to have uh, independent to the extent that there is such a thing. We need to take redistricting out of the hands of politicians. We really need to do that out of the hands of incumbents. And I'm not sure how it's going to be done, but it's, it can't be done by politicians. And they have to have real meaningful 
rules about how it gets done, where they don't put all the Democrats into, you know, as few districts as possible and then draw these crazy, you know, serpentine uh, districts in both directions. Okay, I have to intercede here for a minute because um, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but those are very ambitious um, concepts that are going to probably take more than a decade to achieve one way or another. But um, unless there's a radical act that 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 unites us and wakes everybody up, that's how okay. like I, Katrina I happened that. to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. We did reforms in a year and a half that people said would take 40 years. It takes some it takes a real shaking up. Mm -hmm. OK, that's the only way. So I'm agreeing with Lamar. But mm -hmm. once that once that happens, somebody needs to be ready with an agenda. This is how we fix this. OK, and let me let me address that, because that's where I want to go for a minute. I personally feel that the Democrats are as much to blame for what we're dealing with right now as Republicans, because not only is it a messaging issue, but it is a, a policy, a fundamental policy issue. And I. You froze, Gene. Oh, internet. New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> Gene, you're still frozen, if you can hear us. Well, Lamar, I, I agree. Uh, I think what Gene was going to say is Democrats are, are actually guilty in some ways of being too elitist in, the, in their approach to things. They're not getting into the unions and the working people yeah. and talking about issues that mean to them. Republicans are owning the dinner table conversations in America. And they're chasing after college educated voters, which there's only a certain percentage of Americans who have a college degree. So yeah, you're right. I mean, we're, we're losing the working class. I mean, this is sort of the lesson of the Trump, um, of the Trump administration, of the Trump's 2016 victory, right? Actually, it, Ronald Reagan's, go back to Reagan. That's where they started losing union votes back right, then. Right, right, right. It um, probably began under Jimmy Carter. And it really, a lot of ways, it gets back to race, you know? Racism, fear, and and you know fear, fear and hatred. It's, that's been the Republican uh, uh, go-to playbook since the 1960s, and it keeps working, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, and these guys have broadcast. They know what they're doing. Uh, Lee Atwater and uh, you know Nixon's guys. They they were very. I mean, off the record, years later, would it, would acknowledge mm -hmm. all of this that the yeah. drug war was was completely a uh, you know a, a racist concoction by Nixon. Um, uh, that the Southern strategy was totally mapped out as a, you know, we know all of this. Um, I don't know what yeah. it takes to get people to wake up, but it is unfortunate. I mean, you know, the ad you saw uh, the other day the World in the World Series kind of reminds me of the, the sort of the stuff we've seen here in Louisiana. David Vitter ran this ad about illegal immigration a few years ago. Do you remember that? With yes. The, with the casino or, I mean, this type, this type of messaging is almost every cycle here. And, and it's, we've become so accustomed to it that it's almost like no one even, uh, you know, we hear the dog whistle, but it doesn't bother us anymore. I don't know. Yeah. And, and well, it does, but here's the thing. It's, it keeps working, you know, here they go yeah. again, you know, they're coming for your guns. They're coming for your daughters. They're coming for your fill in the blank. And uh, that it's somebody who doesn't look like you is trying to take something away from you. And that's really, that's not the truth, but, but it works. People, fear and anger are the two biggest motivators in politics. And uh, no, the only, if, if, the, if the Democrats manage to pull out a victory on 
on November 8th, it will be because of two, 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 two cohorts of voters, women and African-Americans. Right. That's it. Right. Because they're scared enough and angry enough about you know, what's going on in this country from the Dobbs decision on Roe v. Wade to you know, just the Republican tact and people who want to save our, our country and, and not, you know. But let's, let, let's be honest. The most dangerous time in our history in, in the last 40 years, the last 50 years, was the period between the presidential election and the transition of power. And people saw that Donald Trump was going was gonna to be dangerous. It's going to be dangerous again after November 8th if the Democrats win. They're going to, yeah. they're already preparing. They've already got their arguments ready. Oh, it was stolen, you know. And and that's that's and this is Putin's playbook. You know, Putin's losing in Ukraine, but he's winning the bigger war here in America. I mean, look what's happening. This is this is what you know, you know, Khrushchev said, we're gonna bury you from within, you know, and we're gonna turn your own people against you. And that's what they're doing. And it's 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 scary, but that's it's working. You know, they're turning us against one another. You know, what's what's interesting is there's a there's a considerable amount of scholarship about how um, the. Excuse me. Can I just yeah, ask you a question, guys? For ahead, a yeah. Have you been talking all this time what, that? I've yes, been we have. Yes, we, we, we and we took a, we took your point, Gene, about, uh, you know, about what's about well, it's partly the Democrats fault. And what I said was, is that Republicans have owned the dinner table conversation. The Democrats have not been talking to people Absolutely. where they live. Okay, uh, and, and I think that you and I have had that conversation, Gene. So uh, I, I think I knew where you were going with that. That the Democrats well, where have I was going, uh, where I was going, and I, I'm sure you do know where I was going, is that, I mean, I haven't heard anything from the Democratic Party in years that is a position that is is motivating uh, to get out to vote for them. And, and I feel like they they uh, have deserted the working class people from yes. my point of view. And if you if you deserted your, that's your base, that's our base. Yeah. If we deserted our base and we left them up to the, um, you know, the conservative populist um, part of the world, which is, in, that's mm -hmm. a very, that, that, that line is crossed back and forth over the years. All the time between Democrats and 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 populist, um, I don't know what you want to call them, whatever they are, but populist was what they were um, historically, and uh, I, I and it goes know, back to Reagan. It goes at least back to Reagan. Well, it it's goes back to Clinton yeah. too. I mean, let's go to Clinton. Clinton to me was a Democrat, yeah. and he ba basically most of his positions were uh, Republican light, and and that's part of the problem. And people were saying, "Hey, what about us?" And so. The, the Republicans come out with a message that sounds like, hey, we're for you, which was a big lie. You talk about big lies. That was the biggest lie. Yeah. And, and, and too many people bought it because they were saying, well, wait a second, I don't see us in the Democratic Party anymore. So yeah. to me, as I say, I feel like the Democrats are as much to blame as the Republicans. For yeah, the yeah. The, the working class got the, the Democrats took the union and working class vote for granted, plus the Republicans did everything they could to destroy unions. And then they could say, you know, all this economic havoc that's been brought upon you was a result of democratic policies, which wasn't, that was one of one of the big lies. And, and if you're a working class uh, union or, or a job that could have been unionized, uh, 
that, that message resonated because all you knew was that your, your paycheck was shrinking, the economic times were tough. And other than fear and anger, the one thing that motivates people is economics. And the Republicans are owning all three of those issues right now. And, and let's, let, let's, not, let's not forget the impact of right to work because that's- That's me, my point. The, the Republicans undermine the unions. Right. Yeah. When we passed right to work in the South, that was also a major change point. Guys, we could go on. And um, I mean, it's, it's I, I don't know how to get out of the dismal place, but let's see what happens on Tuesday. I would love to have you come back on next Everybody week. Everybody get out Welcome. and vote. If you can hear this podcast, uh, the, uh, this, this, this message, if you're listening on the radio or watching on, on, your, on your device, please get out and vote and drag three people with you. Thank yes, you. The, the stickers yeah. are nice. The stickers are nice this, this year. <laughs> All right. Wear so your sticker um, proudly. Let's uh, please both of you let me know when on Tuesday or Wednesday, not Tuesday, on Wednesday or Thursday, probably you're all going to be too busy on, on Wednesday, but maybe Thursday morning if we can have um, the, uh, the after party, so to speak, <laughs> on this. Um, I would appreciate um, your voices again, and I'm, I'm going to try to make sure that we have our demographics um, addressed as well because, um, yeah, three white people talking about black politics in the South. All right. Yeah. Um, look forward to uh, talking with you. And yes, let me emphasize the reason that we did this interview was to motivate people to get out to vote. It is critical. As much as you may not like all the things we were just talking about, that gets, there's only one way that gets corrected, and that is with the vote. Thank you, guys. Lamar Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Lamar. Good seeing you, Lamar. Yes, it's over Zoom. Zoom. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. Hate the human love that stinking mud Can't stand it, try to make it real Hey, hey, compared to what? Oh, hey, try to make it real Yeah, compared to what? Yeah there's a there's a sense of, of helplessness that a lot of people have about the national political situation and not to mention the local uh, political situation we've we've um, uh, had a kind of um, I don't know I, I I don't want to be mean but I feel like the Democratic Party in the state has been a little a wall for a while and um, uh, we don't have the the energy that we should have. Um, but I think it's going to change and um, it's going to change because of people like Ashley Shelton and her power coalition. That's not the right title. Yeah, no, it is the power coalition, okay. power coalition for equity and justice. Okay. And um, because they just uh, care, but caring is one thing and doing is another. And this is a, a group of people who are doing and uh, right now, that's what it takes. Even the late night guys, I usually tune in just for a little bit of comic relief from the from the day. And um, that, that's all they were talking about was voting. And they had, um, you know, some of the leaders nationally on to talk about it. And um, I, I just want to I just want to see what you guys are up to and, and what you're trying to do. And, and let's connect uh some of the people in our audience uh, to your effort and 
you know, uh, get a few more doors knocked and a few more votes out. So Ashley, tell me about your organization, how long it's been in existence, what you're trying to do, and um, how can people connect with you? That's That's the critical thing. Absolutely. So, you know, Power Coalition has been around since 2015. And really, the the purpose of the organization is really to create pathways to power for community and to ensure that voters, you know, I think that, you know, so much of our work is ensuring that, you know, people actually walk in their agency as a voter, because it actually means something. It actually is about how we get to a better place. And I remind people that COVID taught us more than anything, right, that these elected officials are deciding whether you have access to health care, whether your children are safe at school, um, whether you have, you know, paid sick leave um, in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, our elected officials more than ever, I think, is um, and what the decisions they make are impacting our citizens across this country, but certainly in our state. And so Power Coalition, you know, we are in the midst of the get out the vote season. So, you know, we've got folks canvassing, knocking doors. We've got folks, um, you know, on the phones. We're sending text messages. We're also doing digital media. And it's all about engaging and educating folks on what's on the ballot. This particular election season, Louisiana has a pretty large ballot and it depends on where you live. But regardless of where where you live, you've got, you know, you've got a Senate congressional seat. um, You've got eight amendments, um, some of which are very confusing. You've got Um, You know, you've got propositions in cities like New Orleans, you've got, um, you know, local races in Shreveport and Zachary, right? Like, so there's so much that's on the ballot. And so we are educating and encouraging people to spend some time with it so that they have a plan, they can go vote um, and be in the booth and feel confident about the, the, the choices that they make. We are also providing access to transportation. And so we're trying to remove all the barriers. And so Power Coalition, you can go to our website at powercoalition.org. And we are providing um, Uber and Lyft codes. And so the idea is to remove as many barriers as possible. You can also go to powercoalition.org and pull down a ballot for your city, your community. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, we're just trying to remove the barriers and make sure that people's voices are heard and that they walk in their agency as voters. I think uh, you said something that I think is pretty critical. And and that is, uh, I think that there's so much uh, noise around the um, highly negative and demeaning and destructive rhetoric, especially coming from the Republican side, because they don't seem to be interested in program and policy as much as they are just interested in power. And, and they are just working very hard. And, and to some extent, I kind of understand their situation because they see, um, they see the future and the yeah. future demographically is changing. As a majority minority. And, and they're foolish, really, I think, for not realizing that they, they have to embrace a broader um, constituency of people or else they're dead in the water. And they don't seem to, uh, their, their approach is to suppress and to um, upend and to uh, try to deny uh, the fundamental right to vote, which is just excruciatingly crazy for me. Yeah, well, I think in America in the 40s and 50s and 60s and all that we went through and we've come back around to denying people the right to vote is just I can't I I just. No, it's it's crazy. I mean, and and I think that, you know, here's what's really scary, though, is that, you know, we have a, you know, we Power Coalition is one of the plaintiffs and the, um, you know, in one of the Supreme Court cases. 
around voting rights in Section 2. You know, Louisiana has the second largest Black population proportionally um, in the country, and we should have a second majority minority congressional House seat. And, you know, the reality is, is that this Supreme Court, you know, the, the, the oral arguments happened um, earlier in October, and from those oral arguments, what we know is that there was no, the case was not made for why we don't need section two. There was no case that was made around why black voters um, in, you know, black voters anywhere, but certainly in the deep South need continued protection by the federal government so that their voices aren't neutered, um, you know, by racist legislatures. And I think, you know, the, you know, the the thing that I hope that voters are connecting with is this idea that, you know, structurally black and brown people walk in this country as second class citizens in many ways, but there's something like the final frontier about literally having to walk in this country as a second class citizen because your vote doesn't matter, your voice doesn't matter. And of course they want to change the rules now that we're a majority minority. And I think what's unfortunate is that we're, you know, like is is that they're they're hoarding all the power and changing all of the rules to the point to where you know we you know to the point to where it may not matter right that that there is a growing looming you know majority minority and then what oh, you- oh rest assured i really feel confident as bad as things are um that this this will be undone this mess will get undone because the, if there's one thing that you see in history is if the if the if the power swings too far to this side, it's going to swing back to that side. And but I think more importantly, I, the point I wanted to make before that I wanted to emphasize your point was that the poli- the political situation is not just about this um, kind of vicious uh, fight for power between the two, uh, and particularly, of course, from the Republican side, but also um, it, it is about governance. And it's about all of the issues that you mentioned that impact our lives on a daily basis. And it's not just about inflation. And um, it, it, it's not just about the borders. They try to boil it down to these issues that are basically scare tactics for yep. certain uh, Americans. But um, the, the truth is that uh, government is very much enmeshed in our lives in in many ways. And so if we don't deal with it and make sure that we're represented, um, uh, there's a a very high price to pay for that. Absolutely. I remember, uh, I made uh, this point in uh, our newsletter and I remind our audience that we do have a newsletter and you should subscribe to it, Crosstown Conversations News, N-E-W-S. we we are are very conscious of the fact that there is just a oh um, I won't say a relinquishing, but there I think there's been some confusion in the black community. And tell me I'm wrong about because I'm not black, <laughs> um, but some confusion about the role to be played today as compared with those years immediately after the civil rights and getting the right to vote. I, I feel like some of the energy that was driving things at the time has dissipated. And there was a period for a while, and I think it's over, that um, many people felt like, oh, okay, everything's okay. Now we can just you know, go about our lives and, and vote and it's gonna be okay. And then suddenly it, it's not. So um, 
you know, I, yeah, you know, I, you know I, one of the things that I think has been, you know, the people are, you know, the pieces of the puzzles that are, that are missing, right? One is that, you know, like there were so many communities of color that were living on the margins before COVID and then COVID pushed them beyond, you know, like they pushed them into a place of hopelessness. And then because what COVID also proved is that not only do we as citizens need the federal government, but every city and state in this country needs the federal government because they can't actually make it without revenue and without support. Um, and our economy almost cratered. And so I think that, you know, kind of all, you know, we were kind of what, two years into, you know, into COVID and, and the idea is that folks should have been able to recover. And, it, and I think that, you know, people want to divorce the crime wave from the fact that, you know, this is a level of hopelessness that, that's driving this crime. This is about um, how far we are allowing people to, you know, to, to live in the margin. I mean, you know, families are now living under the interstate in New Orleans, not, you know, not um, individuals, but actual families. Yeah. And, you know, and we don't, and, and again, all of those are policies, all of those are about how we spend resources as as a city, state, and and certainly at the federal level. And so I do think that folks are, you know, I I do think it impacts voting because it's a, people are in survival mode. People are trying to, you know, to make it to that next piece. And I think that part of what Power Coalition does is try to meet people where they are, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to get your ride to the polls. You know, we want to listen and understand like what's happening. We're fighting to support and expand housing access through our partner, Greater New Orleans Housing Alliance. You know, we're talking about criminal justice with our partner vote. We're, you know, we're talking about these issues that we know are, you know, disproportionately impacting the Black community. Um, so that we can say that this go- we have to use the tool that is our vote and government and elected leaders to be able to change what we're currently in, to change living on the margins or just consistently having to live in the margins or beyond. And so, you know, we're, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we are showing the community, showing community that we listen and that we show up, we keep showing up, um, and that we are trying to both solve problems in real time and that we do need them to vote to be able to make sure that we have an elected body that's going to do the work of the people. And that's what's missing is that this, you know, so much of government across the board from the local level to the federal level is about money and profit and business. And nobody is centering people. Nobody, you know, think about the ARPA dollars, you know, multiple tranches have come down and very few of those dollars have actually reached the ground, actual people who were hurting um, and are still hurting in the aftermath or the midst of the latest round of COVID. And so, you know, and so we have, we do see um, some lag in the numbers, but I do also know too that Black voters also love to vote on election day. I can, my own parents, my mother's all, my mother and father are always going to vote on election day um, because they believe that it matters. And so there is this, this practice of, you know, yeah. the, you know, taking your kids with you. Well, and all of- aspect of it too. But yeah. you know, I, I do want to emphasize, I can't uh, leave what you've just said, um, without uh, adding one other factor, there's some very uh, important long-term issues that we tend to lose sight of uh, with the uh, energy behind a short-term issue. So crime is is obviously um, a, a huge issue at the moment coming out of the pandemic. There's just dynamics about that that are nationwide and probably global. <laughs> it's not just New Orleans. <laughs> Sometimes we like to, um, 
you know, um, kind of beat ourselves up for something that is uh, really goes beyond our borders and, and um, crime is one of them right now. But to me, it's all about education. And um, ultimately we have a changing economy. It's dramatically changing. And if we are not educating our youth to be able to um, develop professions and, and jobs and careers and businesses in this environment, um, then we're failing and there's going to be more and more crime, not less. And uh, I, I'm not one of those people who think it's all about courts and jails. Um, I think it's about education more than anything Absolutely. else. I mean, we went from the war on drugs to the war on guns and, and, and the war on guns for certain people, not the war on guns for other folks. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, in, you know, it's, it's, it's the hard on crime. Again, everything feels like it's going back to, you know, 50 years ago. And, and you look at the, what the Supreme Court is considering. They're considering voting rights, affirmative action. I mean, all of these things, you know, they've already, you know, made their decision on row, right? Like all these rolling back of things that are, that, that uh, it's 50 years plus. I gotta say, I do not for the life of me understand there's certain things that you know, and, and and you are the counterforce to this, your organization, when when people don't try to change a situation. So I, I don't understand why Clarence Thomas is not being censured by the rest of the uh, court. I just don't get it. I mean, if he is in, in complete, um, uh, uh, at the other end of the pole from dealing with his, his responsibilities on, on conflict of interest, um, where is the rest of the court? Where are the, all the uh, liberal votes on the uh, court? Why aren't they putting a stop to that? How do you how do you let a, a judge just continue to do um, totally um, uh, conflicted uh, judgments? Um, uh, in, in in it's just it's. It, to me, it's illegal and it just doesn't add up. But well, I want it's certainly, to right. certainly not ethical. I mean, and I think that, you know, but I think they let him do it because they somebody has to be the bad guy and somebody's got to, you know, somebody's got to take the sword. Right. And I think that, you know, they're more than happy to have, you know, an African-American man doing all of this dirty work um, in the name of the Supreme Court in the name of alleged, alleged justice, which there certainly has not been much of that. But it's cratering their own, it's cratering their, their own credibility. Absolutely. Judges. So uh, it, anyway, <laughs> I'm almost out of time, but I want to, I just want to come home and ask you one question that occurred to me when you were talking about the homeless. Um, how do the homeless vote if they don't have a home? Yeah. I don't express my ignorance, but I'm, I'm just, how do you do that? No, we've worked with um, several partners um, ensuring that, you know, the homeless can vote because you, as long as they have an ID, even if they're recently homeless, um, you know, like there are multiple ways that we can support um, those families and exercising their right to vote. And so it is, you know, because I mean, we do it every year. Um, we are, you know, we're organizing with our partners under the interstate and talking to people because here's what's unfortunate is that these are regular everyday working people that just found themselves pushed beyond the margins. And so, you know, and so they have a Louisiana ID, right? And in many cases, they have a Louisiana okay. ID, yes. which allows them to vote, right? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm re reassured that, uh, and you know, maybe in some cases, I know that a lot of homeless are alienated from their families, but in some cases, 
where there's still a connection, maybe the family will also uh, help volunteer. Tell me, tell people how they can come volunteer for you, help knock on doors and get the vote out. Absolutely. So please, you know, go to our website at powercoalition.org. You know, you can sign up to be to do election protection, which is to just kind of watch the polls, answer phones, make sure that <laughs> you're protecting the vote because we know the vote is under attack. Um, also, you know, I, and I do want to say this, I'd be remiss if I didn't lift up all of the college students that we've been working with this year. We've got 300 students from Tulane. We've got 100 from Dillard. We've got, um, you know, we've got 100 from Southern University in Baton Rouge and, and, and 50 from Grambling. Like, so if you look all across the state, our young people are standing up and our young people are um, are showing up. And so, again, we've got volunteers and we're, we need more. Um, there's so much work how, to do. So how do they reach you? How, how do they sign up to work? Yes. And so you can go to our website at www.powercoalition.org, or you can email us at info at powercoalition.org. And so um, they can register in something and then you call on them. And yeah, exactly. There's a Google form that you fill out and then, you know, and then we immediately follow up and then we give you the, there's a whole menu of options. You can call voters and remind, remind them to vote on election day. You can um, like I said, you can do actual election protection where you pick a polling location and just make sure that people aren't having trouble. You can be on the phones for people that are trying to vote that are having issues at their. OK, um, so it's more than literally walking the streets and knocking on doors. That's I use political work like that. And uh, I, I mean, it's, there's nothing more satisfying uh, to to you as a person than knowing that you have contributed to getting people out to vote. Absolutely. Um, Ashley, thank you so much for what you do and your organization does. And please stay in touch with us and let us know as, as we go through various election cycles, what we can do to help get the word out. Y'all call Ashley or go online to Power Coalition. That's all you really need to remember. You don't you don't need all those W's. Just call Power Coalition. <laughs> no, powercoalition.org and let me and I will give you my personal cell 225-802-2435. Yep, 225-802-2435. And so give me a call. We're here. Um, and we're ready to help and support community, having their voices heard as much as possible. Free rides to the polls. Um, we're here to remove all barriers, translation support. So whatever those things are, we're here thank to you. you know here to do that. And thank you so much for having me, Jane. Thank you so much for what you're doing. It's just couldn't be more important. And um, it really takes that kind of leadership to get people out of their routines. And so good luck and good luck to all of us. Hopefully yes. we have some kind of a... You know, hopefully one set of polls that we hear are right and the other, other set are wrong. <laughs> Take care. Thank you Take very care. much. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Trying to duck the wrath of God. Preachers filling us with fright. They're trying to tell us what it thinks is right. It really got to be some kind of nightmare. Mm -hmm. 
unreal values, crass distortion, unwed mothers who want abortion. Kind of brings to mind, oh, young King Tut. <laughs> 